Hi, my name is Vanya Halim. I'm the current president for the Student Council of James Cook University, Singapore. Our guest today is Professor Chris Rudd OBE. Professor Chris is the Deputy Vice-Chancellor and Head of Campus at James Cook University, Singapore. He has more than 18 years of experience in international education leadership and has played a key role in shaping the strategic direction of the Singapore campus of James Cook University. Welcome, Professor Chris, and thank you for doing this. Thank you, Vanya. I'm very happy to be here. Okay, so, Prof. Chris. Could you tell us about your journey to becoming a Vice-Chancellor and what inspired you to transition into the leadership roles within the academic world? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm reminded of the name of an Irish tune here called Tripping Upstairs because that's how I would kind of describe my journey in that you know people from a more conventional background might have been nursing this burning ambition you know, for half their lives to be a university leader, but it kind of happened by accident, you know, so it turned out that I was a reasonably effective researcher and, you know, could get money and attract talent and get people to work together. And so at some point I got tapped on the shoulder saying, you know, why don't you come upstairs, Chris, and, you know, join the senior leaders. And and I didn't screw anything up too badly. So that kept progressing and I followed my nose. Simple as that. So it just happened and you just went with the flow? Yeah. Yeah, the opportunities came by and and mostly I grabbed them and, mm. and I guess mostly I caught them. Okay. So, um, could you share some insights into the unique challenges and opportunities you've encountered while leading like an educational institute like China, like in China and or Singapore? Uh, yeah, I mean, of course, there are huge challenges because of, you know, intercultural complexities and local regulations and, and all of that. But I think what I would like to try and reflect on a bit is more like the learning experiences. And, and I would say I probably learned more spending the last 10 years in Asia, you know, from a, let's say, a management and communication point of view than I did in, the, you know, like the previous 25 years. China was a huge kind of learning exercise for me. And, and if I was going to kind of distill it to one thing, I would say it's about learning to stand in the other person's shoes and understand what, what they want out of a business relationship rather than just focusing on what you want, which I think tends to be like the default Western approach. And then... It was, it was super interesting to then move to Singapore where instead of being a kind of like monoculture that you're, you're, you're in this, this kind of hugely dynamic multicultural environment. But then with the, the overlay of a kind of strong state with super long-term planning and, and deep thinking, and, and that's been a real inspiration for me these past five years in Singapore. Does it mean you've spent like five years in China and then five years in Singapore? More or less, yeah. Damn. Okay. So it's like, um, how do you envision the role of a modern university 
in today's like changing world? The world is constantly evolving. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, even even in the five years I, I've been here, right, which presumably overlays with your time in GSCU, mm-hmm. more or less hundred yeah. percent. We've we've seen massive changes, right? Yes. Um, first of all, COVID, which made us just completely rethink and then re-engineer how we delivered our business model, and and then of course over the past twelve to eighteen months, the eruption of AI on our landscape, forcing us to really think long and deep about how that's going to impact on our marketing, our branding, our student services, but of course, most of all, our education mm-hmm. programs. And so what I would say is, is you know, from both of those kind of game-changing events, that the modern university needs to be more flexible, it needs to be more porous in terms of talent, coming in and out and the relationship with industry and business being reframed. And and then, of course, the the idea of place being a bit less important. You know, where you do your learning, where you do your teaching from, where you're conducting research. And so I think we've got to be a lot more free thinking about the the role of the modern university. Mm, I see. So is it more like... uh Instead of like defining, oh, that this is where we should be heading, it's also more like you're trying to just play by ear. It's just go with the flow because we don't know what's going to happen next either. What's the next We don't, new we don't know what's going to happen next, but I don't think we can play it by ear. I think that we've got to, we've got to get ahead of the curve mm. in exactly the same way that we did with our response to COVID. You know, when, when we, we saw it coming and we, we, you know, we took a pretty bold decision early on to, to shift everything online and, and staff responded and they worked really hard and they delivered a really high quality operation in the same way I think the way that we respond to AI and other regional opportunities, we've we've got to be ahead of the game. Mm, I see. It's, um, can you share some of the key achievements or milestones that uh, JCU Singapore has reached under your leadership? Yeah, I, I think the the you know the period that we're all gonna remember is is 2020 and the first half of 2021 when being brutally honest you know at one point I didn't know whether we were still going to have a business Mm. in 12 months time and in fact a small group of us sat around the table and drew up a plan a mitigation plan if we had to wind up the, the business in Singapore not a lot of people know that and and I'm very happy that that plan never saw the light of day but the fact that we that we did think through all these different scenarios and figured out that if we were going to survive, then we need to respond early and decisively, but that we needed to take the community with us, communi- you know, communicating and over-communicating with staff and students and stakeholders so that people knew what was happening, they recognised the uncertainties, but they were... You know, they had a measure of confidence that we were managing and mitigating to the extent that we could. I see. Damn. No, I didn't. Uh, because I came into GCU Singapore around the latter half of 2020 as well. So when I came in, it was more like, it seemed to me as if, because COVID just happened by then, right? I was more like, oh, it seems like the university knows what it's doing because everything was online and I was still in Indonesia by then. So I was more, I was... It's kind of surprised to hear about this. 
it seemed that everything was going fine on the surface level. Yeah, but you know, as a we were kind of meeting as a war council literally every Is it day. Every day. <laughs> and looking at the numbers and looking at the guidelines and looking at the you know the the progression of the vaccine developments and just wargaming literally on a 24-hour cycle. On a different note, like how do you react when you first heard about the vaccine finally getting released in Singapore? It was it was a game changer, you know. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't quite the the kind of magic bullet that everybody thought it was going to be, and so it took took a little bit of time for us to understand how that was going to play in each of our daily lives as well as in our in our business planning. But you know, it was it was a massive sigh of relief, and also you know very happy that we were in Singapore who. You know where the government had been strong, had been transparent, had 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 kind of planned at the level that we had planned, and you know it was at times a slightly challenging place to be because of the you know the the small nature of the place, but actually it could have been a lot worse than to have been here during could those years. Yes, is it? So now now that COVID's over, now that we're finally moving forward from that that era. That timeline is like. Um, can you highlight any exciting like, upcoming projects or expansions for TCU Singapore? Yeah, so I just wanted to mention one thing, and you know there've been huge successes in in the time that I've been here. Not not just the fact that we, we kept the business alive, um, but but also the progress that we've made in research, in international recruitment. You know, many many uh, successes been chalked up. The one thing that we've never really managed to move the dial on is the interaction with our Australian communities. And, you know, we do pretty well in bringing in students from Northern Europe, but, but we see vanishingly small numbers from Australia. And as an Australian-owned operation, that, that's kind of a bit of a, a bit of a challenge to us. So I'm very excited to tell you that in 2024, mm. We'll be bringing the two um, academic calendars in Singapore and Australia into pretty much perfect alignment. So it'll be so much easier for Singapore students to go and spend a semester in, in Australia. Australia and vice versa. And I think that will contribute to the, the diversity of JCU Singapore, but I think it will also help to reinforce our Australian roots. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Um, I also noticed it as a. I've been here for around what two two years, about two years, and I've seen more Germans and uh, French students like this whole time. And I was like, I was wondering, like, why are they no Australians? Because we're Australian university. I I Just, think I think there's a couple of things at play here. One, the first one is that that while we run on trimesters, mm. the Australian campus has pretty much up to now run on semesters, and. And because of things like Chinese New Year and the the high school uh, year here in Singapore, that things have been pretty badly aligned in in terms of being able to skip from Singapore to Australia and and vice versa. Uh, and and that's exactly why we've put a lot of effort in over the last twelve months to try and tweak the calendar at both ends so that we can get the two things as closely aligned as possible. The second thing is you've got to think about the context where JCU operates in northern Queensland, mm. which is a, a, a more different environment to Singapore. 
you could not imagine. Is it? Yeah, you know. Never been. Queensland has got the same population as Singapore, but it's distributed over an area which is about the same as Europe. So, you know, that's five million people. You know, that's a lot so of go, land. <laughs> it's a very different learning environment, operating environment, business environment. And the culture is very much about studying at your local uni. And so, unlike a lot of our Asian students who, of course, come from Other huge yeah. Asian cities, from Bangkok, Jakarta, and so on, where there's a much greater mobility and kind of flux of different cultures, different nationalities, and all of that. I see. Is it um, on the war? There's a random note. I'm just curious as a student, is uh, will there be more uh, courses offered in Singapore now that the calendars are aligning? Such as at least we can do it uh, online. Or yeah, you know, the the availability of more courses and, and, and I think you mean more subjects as yeah, we yeah, use in, in, in JCU language. Yeah, of course. And the fact that we can access one another's curricula in mm. a, like in a um, synchronous way. I think is a huge, I mean, it's an efficiency, but also it's a it's a learning opportunity for our students. I see. So, uh, Prof. Chris, uh, you know, JCU is very, I can tell JCU is very into the sustainability aspect of things. They were very environmentally friendly. I had a conversation with uh, Prof. May about how le leading um, JCU into becoming more eco-friendly, more sustainable in general. Uh, can you tell me in what ways the university contributes to local or global sustainability and environmental responsibility? Yeah, th this is a really important question. And it's something that JCU has really got stamped on its DNA. So, and there are lots of ways to answer it right, but I I'll be brief. First of all, I'd say that there are some high visibility things and there are some things which are a bit less obvious. The first one is that if you come back to campus after the Christmas break, you'll prob probably find the, the roof is festooned with uh, solar panels. And we are currently letting a contract to a contractor who will be installing solar panels, which will provide about 40% of our electricity usage from 2024 onwards, which is a fantastic development. The, the, the other thing, of course, is, is through our education programs and through our marine science and aquaculture programs. We are helping to train, you know, the next generation of industry professionals who'll be helping to drag the world away from the, you know, the seriously bad carbon footprint of eating land-based protein to both uh, marine protein and, and also alternative proteins mm. with all of the issues that go with that, you know, like the political issues, mm. the societal acceptance and, and our physiological response as human beings to shifting from one form of protein to another. I see. So, uh, do you yourself consume alternative proteins? I I do. So I, I don't eat meat. I haven't eaten meat since... 1993. Um, my daughter beats me up on a regular basis because I still consume seafood. But how can you be in Southeast Asia and not consume exactly. seafood? Right? Well, we'll struggle to come to Singapore and not eat any fish. But 
Do you are there plans to expand? Uh, because I also have friends in the aquaculture and the environmental environmental sciences uh course, right? And they're always very excited to be like, oh, we're going to the lab today. Oh, especially the labs. They're always every practical class. They they really enjoy every practical classes, right? And I think one of my friends is writing a thesis on, uh, the animals in the zoo. So I was gonna bring it up. It's like, uh, I think the course itself is quite new in Singapore. Is it? Yes, relatively new. Mm, that's why. Anyway, so uh, could you provide some insights into your experience as an expat living in Singapore? Five years. What have you learned? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the thing I referred to earlier, I think, about, you know, kind of deep planning. You know, I'm aware that Singapore's got like a 50-year development plan for, for its for its urban environment and even, and even for the size of the island, mm. right? And you know, long-term mitigations against uh, rising sea levels and, and all of this stuff and about creation of a new city where the where the port sits now. And, and for me, coming from the UK where, you know, you've at best got like a five-year electoral cycle where the political planning is basically what's going to give me the best chance of winning the election in three years' time. The fact that there's such a long planning horizon here, I think, is really inspiring, and and kind of underpins the the success that Singapore's had in what is it 58 years of mm-hmm. of history. I mean, that is just incredible. I first came here in in 1979 on a on a container ship, and um, I can remember vividly, you know, visiting Chinatown and buying cheap tools in People's Park and all of that and watching the the old uncles trying to trap pigeons under umbrellas for food and all this sort of stuff. And then, you know, here we are 50 plus years later and it's just an incredible and inspiring story. A lot must have changed when the first time you visit Singapore after that. Well, well the island's probably twice as large as it was. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, because uh, I've been here for about two, two, three years, and comparing it to Indonesia, I'm just like, damn, this country is advanced. It's very, like, you can tell the planning is really up there. Very cool. Yes. So, do you have any uh, personal favourite memories or experiences that stands out here in Singapore? Yeah, you know, I always go back to to, to the, you know, the, the, the long and difficult months of 2020. Ah. Um and, you know, I, I grew up in a small northeast town in the UK, living like five minutes from the beach and, and sort of living in a small terrace house. The beach was like, you know, my, my playground, my living laboratory, my backyard and all those things. And, and so being able to come here and live at the East Coast and have the same access to the, to the seaside and the kind of like you know, the soothing qualities that brings, but also like the uh, recreation, you know, running, biking, skating, whatever, really has been a, a, an important kind of anchor for me during this time. And during the, you know, the period of the lockdown when we weren't even encouraged to, you know, to travel downtown, mm. it was great just to be able to have that access and go and breathe the the fresh air and you know there were downsides as well because of course we saw all the plastics trash 
piling up on the beach. So with my one permitted hour of recreation, I'd go and take a, a black sack and go and clean a bit of area of beach and feel like, you know, at least I'd done something um, of value that day. Mm. I think our students, um, the clubs are also very active in helping the beach. As you mentioned before, the beach cleanups, the kayak, kayak and clean, I think the event is called. Yeah. Yeah. So, Prof Chris, I'm 21. Right now, I'm 21. So if you were able to travel back in time, what advice would you give your 21-year-old self? Yeah, okay. So, full disclosure, when I, when I was 21, I was just starting out my degree program and like you, you seem to be finishing up. Mm. And because I'd come from a non-traditional background, right? I didn't mm. come through A-levels or anything like that. I came from a basically a marine engineering apprenticeship. I, I had a, a little bit of a sense of imposter syndrome when I arrived at uni and kind of, you know, constantly asking myself whether I really belonged there. And, and without having any kind of really inspiring mentorship, uh, I had to kind of learn myself that even though, you know, I was mixing with people from privileged backgrounds, from famous schools and all of that, that you know, my presence was every bit as valid mm. as theirs. And and that if I if I worked hard and gave my best shot, that, you know, I could be every bit as successful as they could. And I wish somebody had told me that. Thank you, Professor Chris. I think this has been a fantastic discussion. Uh, and thank you so much for being here with us today. Where can our listeners find you online? So if you're su sufficiently persistent, you can find me on social media. I don't have a particularly high profile, but LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter have all got accounts linked to my name. I see. Okay. And thank you for today, Prof. Chris. And thank, then you. thank you for you guys for listening.